0: Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, my name is Tim Malloy and today our guest is the awesome Bria Grant, the writer and director of 12 Hour Shift, one of the best dark comedies this year. You might know Bria Grant from a slew of film and TV roles, including on Friday Night Lights, Dexter, and Heroes, in which she played the super speeder Daphne, but don't sleep on her career as a writer-director. 12 Hour Shift, which premiered at Fantasia Film Festival, is about a nurse, played by Angela Bettis, who has a nice side hustle, stealing organs from her patients. But one night, as they tend to do, things fall apart. On this episode, I talk with Bria Grant about her expansion from acting to writing and directing, and all the projects she's juggling this year. 12 Hour Shift is now available on demand, wherever you go to demand things, and it's a pretty much perfect Halloween watch. Brie welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. Congratulations on 12-Hour Shift. What an amazingly entertaining movie and just well-told story. I have a lot I want to ask, but the first thing I want to start with is you have a master's from American Studies at University of Texas, Austin. What is American Studies?
1: (laughs) Oh my God, that's a good question. You may be the first person who's ever asked me that question. American (laughs) Studies is a mixture of sort of history means anthropology. Um, It is more of the, the why did things happen in history um, mixed with like a pop culture studies and sort of philosophy um, as opposed to uh, like, here's the study of war. Uh, So the one thing I had a, I had a professor would always say that um, it was, it was history minus wars and presidents. (laughs) Um, So I, I would take classes like on the history. I had one on like, um, the history of, uh, women in psychology, like, and women, women in psychiatric facilities throughout time. I had, um, a whole class on, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, like, micro histories, basically, I think is what we would call it now.
0: That sounds like an amazing major, and I wish it had existed at my school, because I was history, but I tried to do the most recent history possible to, you know, really study America pretty much since the Civil War, so it sounds like that would have been right up my alley.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I did my undergrad. I did sort of like early, early 20th century. Um, I, I looked into early 20th century uh, anarchist women um, in the like pre-vote era. And then and for my master's degree, I actually did like something really modern. And I studied like pop culture studies with um, uh, a focus on women and um, eating disorder communities online. Wow. Yeah.
0: Man, did you get into Helen Keller being kind of a uh, hardcore lefty, which I don't think people realize?
1: Yeah, she is. Isn't that an interesting, like, there's all these people from history you don't, I mean, it's cool we study her, you know, but we don't study that aspect of her, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's just, it sounds like such a cool area. Wow. It it sort of explains the path that you took afterwards, and (laughs) I'd love it if you could just walk us through how you got to directing this movie. Um, It seems like in about 2008, you get heroes, you get Friday Night Lights. A lot of stuff happens at once. How did that happen?
1: Yeah. um, I was, I moved to Los Angeles in 2006 and you know, waited tables. I did script coverage for CAA. I did a bunch of those very like LA sort of jobs. And um, I had started sort of acting while I still lived in Texas and I uh, knew a casting director out in Austin. She had auditioned me for the pilot of Friday Night Lights and then kept bringing me back for roles on Friday Night Lights cause she knew me. And I would fly myself out there and pretend to be a local uh, even though I was living in Los Angeles and eventually booked one. And that led to Heroes. Friday Night Lights really changed my life because I, you know, it, people were watching it in LA and the people who were watching LA were casting directors and people in the industry. And so suddenly like it opened a lot of doors for me. And um yeah, totally changed my life. I was able to quit waiting tables and have never had to have a day job since. So
0: it felt like a really authentic show in every way. I mean, I think people really did feel like they were getting a taste of Texas. And uh, did it did it feel authentic when you were on it? Like you're you're a Texan. Did it feel accurate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I say people in LA love it. I think uh people in Texas really loved it too. I think it really did capture um uh, what it's like to be in a small town in Texas. I mean, so I'm from East Texas and um, that was one of those books, Friday Night Lights, the books was, book was like a big deal uh, because it mentioned Marshall, Texas. And and we thought that was like really cool. So when the show came out, it was like huge for Texans. We loved it. So yeah, I think they did a really good job. I I mean, it was such a cultural moment. And I think almost kind of the beginning of like the prestige TV that we see now, you know?
0: Yeah. You must have been a huge local hero. <laughs>
1: you know, I will say it was, it was really cool. My hometown was really, really proud of me. I was, I was on the front of the paper. It was very exciting.
0: <laughs> and then you very quickly pivot to writing, which it sounds like you were very, I'm going to guess you're really into writing all your life.
1: I mean, yes and no. I mean, you write a lot in grad school. I I mean, I wrote creatively. Like I wrote for, you know, in college, I wrote for early blogs and things like that. But um, my first really attempt at writing wasn't until I was on Heroes, and that was when I started writing comic books.
0: Wow. And why comic books?
1: I'm a big comic reader, and I at the time I w- I was working with my brother, and um we started trying to write screenplays and we realized we didn't know how to do that. (laughs) So um, we both read comic books regularly um, and we were like, maybe we could write comic books and we can leverage this heroes thing and someone will actually publish one. And um, that's exactly what we did. We went and pitched to IDW and we put out um, a a run of a series called We Will Bury You, which is like a 1920s alternate history zombie story.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, which is totally in line with the era that you were studying
1: yeah yeah it's the one of the maybe the few times i've actually used my american (laughs) (laughs) so
0: did you have that experience that some people talk about where they say that writing comic books helped them with storyboarding and helped them as a director later
1: yeah definitely i think um i think it feeds they feed each other because i still write comic books and graphic novels so I mean, the things I learn on set, I actually will use, um, you know, to, to make like surprise panels or scares or things within my comic books, but, but definitely when it came to my first movie, I was working with my DP, Michelle Lawler, um, on Best Friends Forever, my first movie. And, um we were talking about shot listing, we were talking about stuff, and I didn't really know how to do it. My first movie was actually the first thing I directed. I didn't really know what I was doing. And she um, was like, well, you write comic books, like draw it out, draw it like you would. And that helped me, which is sort of why my first film, I think looks like a comic book. Like everything sort of looks like a panel almost. And it's very still and, um, and uh, evenly framed because I, that's the way I like my comic books. and. Yeah, it it still feeds into it, though, for sure. I I still think about comics a lot when I'm directing.
0: What comics were you reading or inspired you, and what comics continue to inspire you? Uh,
1: Currently, or when I first started?
0: I guess both. I guess what were you reading and what are you reading?
1: I mean, like, my uh, entrance into comics was a book called The Invisibles, um, which is an amazing comic that is about sort of un, not traditional superheroes um, I think because I got into comics late I, I didn't start reading comics till my 20s I, I the, the like Superman and you know all of these huge like X-Men all those things felt really big and like I didn't know how to enter those universes so I found you know Grant Morrison and people like that who are writing these like cool superheroes But they weren't necessarily the ones that I had to like read, you know, forty years of history to get into. So um, that one is is uh, still one that I think about a lot. um, uh, The Invisibles, Um, and then a lot of Neil Gaiman. I feel like he definitely um, wrote for the young, weird women of the world. (laughs) Weird young, weird women love Neil Gaiman. and yeah, I still read a lot of comics. Um, I'm actually going back now and reading all of um, the Peter David run of X Factor, which I really loved. That was one that I got into. Um, yeah. And uh, wow, those are like the best books. If you haven't read them in a while, the story is so good. And um, I just, I, my brother gave me all of them for my birthday this year, uh, because I owned all of them at one point in time, but lost them all in the mail. So he regave them to me and it's been like a real joy.
0: It's like the story of comic books is you buy them, you lose them, you get them again, and you're like, oh, these are as good as I remembered or not as good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just did it with the L- Umbrella Academy right before the show came out. I, re- I rebought them and read them again. I was like, these are amazing. How did it take this long to make this into a show? Oh, right, because it's so complicated, and maybe we just now got the technology to actually do this on television.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Peter Gabriel's, oh, Peter Gabriel's, God. Um, that Peter, would be
1: a comic I would read. <laughs>
0: Peter David's run on um, Spectacular Spider-Man was one of the first comics I ever read, and that had just a big impact on me. I love his writing. Like, I love his humor.
1: Yeah.
0: How did you get into the kind of, I mean, did you always like hard Did you always like the macabre?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've always liked the weird, I will say. Like, I've always been drawn to sort of weird stuff, fantasy, and like, darker stuff science fiction is is has always been a big draw for me so the horror stuff came pretty naturally to all of that I will say I kind of split my time between like horror and science fiction when it comes to stuff that I consume um almost 50 50 there's room for fantasy in there somewhere but but yeah I I mean as a kid I liked dark weird stuff I've always been drawn to you know strange weird movies and I was and I was a teenager in the 90s so like Scream and all these huge franchises that got rebooted during that time I was the target audience being a teen girl so I think any any woman about my age can talk really fondly about Scream <laughs> and, and I know what you did last summer and all of those kind of movies
0: oh yeah I totally I was very into all those and you got to be in Halloween too which is pretty cool
1: that was rad yeah um,
0: was that was that kind of a dream fulfilled? Like I'm making the type of movie that I grew up on?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be a part of like something that is that long lasting and so important to pop culture and important to the world of horror. I mean, that's, that's huge. And um, I actually, I don't do cons, really. I, it, I like rarely will do them, but there was a Halloween one. Uh, <laughs> it was like, the, it, was some, it was the anniversary of one of them a couple years ago and I was like, you know what, I'll go do this con. And it was one of those things that I, 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 I wasn't in a good place, and I was like, should I go do this? I have trouble talking to this many people. in one day, like it, I, it's, it, I feel like my my um, personality is like not set up for it. But I went and did it, and it was so magical because you realize how much Halloween means to people as a franchise, and. The people would come, people would come up to me and they had like props from the movie or they had a Halloween poster signed by like every person from the franchise, and they were missing like me and two other people and I felt like such a jerk that I hadn't been there signing their posters all these years and it, it was just a really magical moment to see that I mean the things we grow up with like become so part of us and 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 the people who help make them happen are so important and it, it made me feel really good to be a part of that franchise. <laughs>
0: How did you get to 12 hour shift? I mean, it's such a, where did the idea originate? It's such a cool idea and I'll let you explain it rather than messing it up myself.
1: Um. Yeah, it's, well, it's a movie set in the nineties about nurses who sell organs on the black market and something goes wrong and then they end up with a wild night um, trying to solve things over the course of a 12 hour shift. <laughs> I like to throw the name in there, the, the title <laughs> of the movie. <laughs>
0: How long was the shift? Yeah.
1: (laughs) 12 hours. I actually had someone say it in the movie. Someone was like, how long are y'all here? And they're like, 12 hours. And I was like, you know, I gotta take that out. That's gonna be too much.
0: What did you draw on to come up with that? I mean, obviously the 90s influence, but.
1: Yeah, well, I'm from a small town in East Texas and the script, although now it takes place in Arkansas, um, it was originally set in East Texas because I wanted to write something about where I was from and the sort of weird time that is the 90s that's full of these kind of broad interesting characters these kind of crass people but also just an interesting moment in time because it's a mixture of y2k the beginning of the opioid epidemic um, <laughs> and and um, just like a very different time for the way people behaved and and I wanted to try to capture that um, alongside um, I I have a real interest in urban legends and I wanted to sort of comment on the, the kidney urban legend. Do you know this one where you wake up in the bathtub, you or anyone wakes up in a bathtub and, um, Uh, They're missing a kidney and a sign on the, uh, on the wall that says, um, you know, go to the hospital immediately. And uh, uh, this is sort of my answer to like where that kidney went and why. And I (laughs) tried to sprinkle in urban legends along the way, including Y2K, which I think is almost now an urban legend at this point.
0: (laughs) The version I remember hearing was you wake up with a phone in the, in the tub full of ice with you. And it says call 911 immediately, which is just cool to think of. You know, somebody having a phone with a landline and it being useful.
1: That's but- a di- mine is always a bathtub, but with um it written on a mirror. But I love that these these they transcend space. They go <laughs> everywhere and they kind of change. But you know, in the nineties, I I I didn't really have the internet because it's a small town and it was we were just so much later than everyone else. So I heard that story and thought it was true. I thought it was set in Marshall, Texas. I thought this happened to someone in Marshall, which is. Impossible. <laughs> you know, like, I thought all of these stories happened in, in East Texas because I heard them.
0: And that is the urban myth that got this all started?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that's one of them. There was also um, a true story about a nurse who was killing people with bleach during dialysis. And that always stuck with me. And that did take place in East Texas and is a true story. So that influenced it as well. I kind of just combined a bunch of things and tried to make this weirdo heist movie um, and, and as, as fun as
0: possible. <laughs> Well, I love that there's just so much problem solving. <laughs> it's just a new obstacle gets thrown at them. And it could kind of, the movie could kind of go on for like, it could go on for 12 hours because it's just like, what's the next thing that's going to appear? And they think this problem is solved. And then, nope, another, another thing arises. It's, yeah. yeah, very, very fun watch. Um, why, why do you think you were drawn to kind of the, the gory, the scary, the macabre when other people sort of recoil from it?
1: I mean, well, I will say, like, as an actress, it's, uh, you know, because I started acting in that world. I mean, one of my first jobs was Heroes, and then I went on into Halloween 2, and then uh, went on and did a bunch of horror movies from there. As an actress, it's a really nice set. I know that sounds so weird and not what you would expect but there's a lot of fun on horror sets yeah they have like dark moments and there's moments of like high emotion but for the most part you're getting to play with effects you're getting to play with all this fun stuff that you kind of for me when I was thinking about movies as a kid that was the fun stuff was the fantasy um and and I think in general like as far as like my media consumption and things that I like I'm an escapist when it comes to what I consume and I I I don't love reading things that feel like they're set where I am right now. Like, it would be very weird for me to read uh, something about uh, a person stuck at home during a pandemic right now. (laughs) Like, I'm not interested. Take me to space. Take me to, you know, some dystopian future. I actually don't care if it's a positive or a negative escape. I just kind of don't want to be where I am at the moment. And so I think for me, I'm always trying to create something that feels bigger than life and broader than life and and escape from where we are right now, even if that means going back to the 90s, exploring that world and just heightening it a lot.
0: Do you think it's harder to make a movie set now? I mean, not immediately now, because obviously pandemic set movies would be very boring, but just the internet makes things a little more difficult because, you know, you can't have somebody go and look through the microfiche anymore to (laughs) find, you know, The root of the haunted house. They just Google it, and it's just not that cinematic. Uh,
1: Yeah, totally agree. And cell phones too. I mean, twelve hour shift would end within twenty minutes if they had a cell phone. So it's just it's a it's it's the problem of they're all can't talk to each other and tell each other what's going on when they need to tell each other what's going on. So um, yeah, I think it is a problem. I find that a lot of filmmakers are sort of just like denying the internet at this point that, or, or a hundred percent embracing it. And then you end up with like unfriended or something like that. But a lot of movies it's either we're in the middle of nowhere, or it's just a complete denial of the internet or time. Um, I'm, I'm in this movie called after midnight and that's what they did. They had landlines. They did not acknowledge that there was the internet. And, and I, and I kind of like that because it, it helps us to still play in the world of the unknown and the problem with the internet is that it is all known except now that the internet has kind of become a place of just garbage where you can just find non-facts on there all of the time
0: yeah, great for horror internet's <laughs> not accurate anymore awesome yeah,
1: yeah. It works well for us.
0: do you think people talk differently in the 90s than they do now oh just, yeah how so
1: yeah i mean definitely and i i can't speak for everywhere. Cause again, I was in a small town and, and I, and I, I wasn't exposed to bigger cities and I wasn't exposed. I didn't travel that much. So I didn't really know. I only knew how people spoke then and how they spoke on MTV. Basically those were like my two sources of like, this is how people talk um, and, and movies and stuff. But like, I mean, I was a teenager, so it was mostly MTV uh, uh, spring break stuff. Um, yeah. I think, and this the one thing I tried to play into a little bit was, um, the way people speak. I think there was much more harshness, harshness, a lot more crassness, and in, in the culture was just way less PC. We weren't aware of of uh, being kind in our speech and thinking about others and and the things that I think we all all know today. And I wanted to bring that out because I think it's such a contrast yeah. with where we are now.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a scene in the movie that I just kind of recited for my wife. Um, with no context about what the movie was about or anything. But one nurse asked another, like, hey, we're going to get so-and-so flowers for her birthday. Do you want to kick in $3? And she goes, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, which is everyone I knew knew growing up. Like, it was so much more harsh, overworked, and, like, not apologetic for your overworkedness and your exhaustion. Whereas I feel like now uh, that would... that my response to that if I didn't want to give the flowers would be like a 10-minute speech of why I couldn't give the flowers. <laughs> and, I, and I did really want to create this character who was just curt, you know, very rough and, uh, and unapologetic about it, because mm-hmm. I don't think we do that anymore. And I think we especially don't see it in women, right? We, we don't see women who uh, <laughs> don't begin every sentence with like, sorry, let me explain why. And like, I myself am a super wordy person. As you can tell right now, as you can tell in the movie, I I, temp, I say a lot of I write a ton. I have a lot to say, um, but I wanted this character who was kind of non talkative, and that and wasn't wasn't sorry about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we all kind of aspire to the good ratio of I'm talking a lot, but everything I'm saying is interesting, which is why I talk as little as possible, but <laughs> only if I have something kind of good.
1: Uh, not me. I like to I like to fill up all space with all, all air with uh with words and, and then apologize for it later, kick myself later.
0: <laughs> oh, this is all. You have like an amazing ratio. This entire conversation. <laughs> um, so, how um. Can you talk about how Arkansas lured the production over there? Because you did want to set in East Texas. Um, That's a place that's really close to you. What what was it about Arkansas that that won you over?
1: Arkansas, um, my producers, two of my producers, three actually, are from there. Um, So I worked with this production company called HCT Media and Jordan Long and Tara Perry are from there. And then the Arquettes were also producers and Christina Arquette is um, from Arkansas. So when they all read the script, you know, it's a, it's a very low-budget indie movie, so trying to find a location on our budget that's a hospital was, was quite difficult. And, I mean, to their credit, basically Tara's father lives in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and was like, you know, I think I know a place that mm-hmm. has a wing they aren't using and let me just go talk to them, and this is the way it works in a small town. And they they went and talked to them, and they're like, "Yeah, you can shoot here for a month, no big deal." <laughs> um, so that was the draw. So they had the location we needed, and then we could also be in a place that Tara and Jordan knew really well. And then and then i um, in addition, Arkansas has great tax incentives for our filmmakers, and um, they were really really supportive. The Ar- Arkansas Film Commission was really supportive of us. Um, there's not a ton of shooting happening there, so so. It was, I think it was exciting for them, but it was exciting for us because we got like all the resources we could possibly need.
0: Yeah. When you go into a hospital and say, all right, this is about organ harvesting and you know, nurses who are doing drugs and stuff like that, do you, have to, do you have to have awkward conversations? Do you tell them? Do you not tell them?
1: They had the script. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's a wor- it was a working hospital. Um, Every floor but ours was being used, and we weren't supposed to go on those floors, but the nurses would come down to our ours and like see what we were doing, and they thought it was really funny, the movie. I mean, the movie at its core is a dark comedy, um, and there was a couple of times they came down. They're actually, a lot of the nurses are in the movie. If you see women walking in the back in nurse's scrubs, that's those are working nurses in the hospital. Um, uh, cool. But they would come down and there was one time I was talking to one and I was like, it was a scene that Mandy was being really crass or saying something really, really short, being really short with somebody. And I was like, am I being too rough? Like, is this too harsh? And she looked at me, and she said, oh no, it didn't harsh, harsh enough. <laughs> she was just, she was, she was like, this is, this is how I feel every day. Like she thought I should push it further. So I felt, I, I felt justified. <laughs>
0: What was the biggest obstacle you faced getting this movie made and making the movie?
1: Um, you know, this is a script that I didn't send to that many people. So it feels to me like, you know, we went through the, the normal indie uh, getting financing, not having financing, getting financing, not getting financing. But like, as far as that goes, it wasn't as complicated as you would, would think. Um, and especially um, considering I made another movie also last year, and that one was much more difficult to get made. Um, But there were a lot of moving pieces in this, and we had a really small crew. I mean, whatever you think our crew is, just divide it by two. (laughs) Just know that there's a guy in a coma the entire movie, and that's our sound guy. So, like, that's how small the movie was. It was very, very small. Um, And when you don't have resources, I mean, this is every indie filmmaker's problem. It's, It's just you're just stretched trying to figure things out and trying to figure out how to make things work. So, um, that, that was tough, but I feel like we did a really, I feel like we were able to come together and and make it work, but I don't know if I'd ever be able to do a movie with this many moving parts and this many actors with that small of a crew again.
0: (laughs) Do you have three projects out now? Is that right? I mean, I
1: I have two as a writer yeah. Um, one of those, I'm a director, and then I, I have an additional one. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. As an, as an actress, yeah.
0: How did you juggle them? Can you talk about the other two and how you juggled them all?
1: Yeah. Um, so last year, we shot 12 Hour Shift, which I wrote and directed. And then three weeks later, I came home and I shot a movie that I wrote and I starred in called Lucky. And um, Natasha Kamani directed that. So I had a three week gap in between which was not very it's not very long at the time i was like well it was supposed to be less than that and we ended up with pushing a week or two and that that was actually really good because i was super tired um and um i have a really great editor who i worked with on my last movie and she's she can work without me so she did some of 12 hour shift without me and then while we were shooting lucky i did start editing and there were some days i would go from editing Lucky during the day and shooting all night, 12 hour shift and kind of turning around and doing it again. Um, But it was not as many as it could have been. Like I was able to kind of juggle my schedule. Um, And then I went off to Bulgaria and directed a TV show after that and had to do a lot of my sound long distance. But I think this is just the way it is when you're doing indie projects. There's not very much money. I have to keep working. And for me, it felt like I waited so long between my first movie and my, and and 12 hour shift that I was like, I'm going to take this shot. I'm gonna like, I, this may be my only shot. I'm not going to push a movie just because I'm gonna, I'm a little bit tired. Like I'll just be tired. Um, so yeah, so I shot those and we finished them around the same time. Um, and they both were supposed to premiere earlier this year. Um, one at South by one at Tribeca, obviously that didn't happen. And then in January of this year, I shot, I, I just, I acted in a movie called the stylist and that just started hitting virtual festivals. So,
0: so They're all getting really good attention. Have you taken a minute to just go, I mean, somebody who's always working, do you ever take a minute and just go, Hey, I did this. It's really, it's really awesome. It's like exactly what I wanted it to be.
1: Um, oh, you've stumped me. Um, (laughs) um,
0: no one's ever said yes. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: I, I will say like, I feel like I never did that. It's it's one thing I really regret about my first movie is I feel like I never celebrated. I was so nervous for it to premiere. We premiered that at Slam Dance in two thousand thirteen, and I was I was so nervous. And the whole time I was just scared everyone was going to hate me. It felt like I had exposed my soul. Like I was just very very freaked out, and I I. I I know I didn't celebrate. I I know I was uh, just like kind of a, a nightmare trying to figure out like how to cope with with every day. Um, and my goal this year is I was like I'm gonna take time off. I'm gonna celebrate. I'm gonna go to all these festivals. I'm gonna go and hang out. I'm gonna drink at the bar with people. Um, I'm gonna go and like stay out late and and whatever. And um, then COVID happened. <laughs> so I didn't do anything. Um, I I mean. Right before we were supposed to go to South by, I rented a karaoke room and invited all of the crew and passed a 12 hour shift. And it was right before COVID hit. And I, and we all went and just stayed out really late and um, sang a bunch of songs to each other and like ate cake and, and I'm really glad I did that. Cause I feel like that was my celebration. Like that, that was not knowing COVID was coming. Um, I think that that ended up being what I was able to do to celebrate.
0: I'm super glad you did that. No one ever like, like I mentioned people just seem to go, "Oh no, I had this other thing immediately and I just went off to, you know, such and such country and did that." So, I'm glad you yeah. at least did that.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing like I mean, I- as an actor, you were rarely there for the celebration anyway, especially me, just because I'm always, like, going off and doing something else. And I wanted to provide that for my actors. I wanted to hang out with them in a situation where I wasn't, like, stressed out. And it was really important, and I'm glad I did it, and I think I will always do something like that. And it was, like, part Tribeca celebration, but part, like, rap party we never got to have, you know?
0: And the last thing I want to ask, um, you know, people listening to this are obviously people who listen to podcasts. You host a podcast, can you just tell them about
1: it? Yeah, um, I, I host a book podcast called Reading Glasses. Um, it is not a book club. It is <laughs> a show about for readers about reading and it's kind of deep dives into the most nerdy aspects of reading is the way I like to pitch it. We do everything from reviews of book lights, to the best reading snack, to uh, we pick like a subject and we'll deep dive into anything from like, uh, you know, reviews of like virtual virtual book clubs or um, virtual events. That's one we just did. But we also by, by popular demand, just did an episode on books about birds because that is something apparently, it's like some niche group of books that people love. So we'll, we kind of just, we run the gamma and kind of do anything that has to do with reading um, and when we pitched, I, I have a co-host, Mallory O'Meara, who is a writer, um, also in the horror horror genre. She wrote a book called um, *The Lady from the Black Lagoon* about the the uh, creator of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And um, uh, when we pitched this idea, um, our the podcast network was like, "You're going to run out of ideas in like a year." And we were like, "Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> we will not. And we have not even come." come close we just did a second episode just about bookmarks because people had so much to say we have a really nice audience and um uh and i am an avid reader and so is she and we just found that we were talking about books all the time i read about a book a week maybe a little bit more than that and she reads at least twice that so we always have stuff to talk about um and 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 it's it's a real joy to do every week actually
0: the last last thing where can everyone see all the stuff that you have out now the stuff, stuff, the films. Yeah. I'm sorry. The films.
1: Um. I. Um. Uh. Yeah. Twelve hour shift is out on everything on the on Amazon, on iTunes, on all of the places. So you can you can watch that if you're looking for something kind of Halloweenish, but also funny. It's, it's supposed to be funny. Uh. Someone said the other day they're like, I didn't realize it was a comedy, and I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> sorry, I should make that really clear. Um, you're allowed to laugh. Um. And um. Lucky will be out next year on Shudder, and The Stylist, I don't know when that one comes out, but they are both playing a lot of virtual festivals. So if you are in a place where virtual festivals are happening, you can definitely watch them there. And even 12-Hour Shift is playing a couple of virtual festivals um, still. So if you end up going to some of those online festivals, we we are there.
0: Awesome, well, congratulations, and just thank you so much for talking. Yeah, thanks, man. That was Bria Grant, writer and director of 12-Hour Shift. You also heard about her projects, The Stylist and Lucky. And if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out her podcast, Reading Glasses, as well as all of our other podcasts, including Low Key and The Industry. We also invite you to check us out at MovieMaker.com. We're posting new things every day. There's a newsletter. I write it. You might like it. I'd love to see you there. Thank you so much for joining us and see you again very soon.